0: Good morning it 's good to see everybody today, as Brother Nathan said happy new year this is a This is a time of year that we began to think about life and about the year before and about maybe things we'd wish we could change and uh, maybe things we want to change and This is a time where a lot of people are making what we refer to as new year 's resolutions and i 'll just tell you right now my lesson's not about new year 's resolutions. Uh, but as we think about change, I want to just talk about resolutions for a minute and what, what that is. <clears throat> this is probably the hardest thing that we encounter in life, change. And I'll tell you why, because there are different kinds of change. Uh, some of those changes involve our will and our determination and changing something that may be a life habit or pattern. Uh, some changes may be changes that we really didn't ask for. They just happen to us in life. Monty Paul and I were talking about that before church, you know, as as you get older, your body changes and things just start changing. You may say, well, I don't like this. Well, it doesn't matter. (laughs) Some things are just out of our control, but then there's those changes that we see in ourselves, where there's something in our character or in our behavior that we look at and we say, you know what? I need to change. Can we just all admit that? Isn't everybody here today, can't you look at your life and say, I need to change something? Well, here's the question. How many of us want to change those things? Probably all of us, right? So here's the strange thing about resolutions. A lot of times resolutions, all they are is something that that we think there's this power in January 1st that's going to give us the power we haven't had before to help us get to somewhere. If you've made a New Year's resolution, I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just simply saying a lot of times we make resolutions, and even though we know we need to change and we want to change, we have a desire to change, we don't. And the question is why? Because that's frustrating. Is that not frustrating? When you want to change and you don't? So why is that? We need to recognize that we are fluid creatures. And here's what I mean by that. We are constantly changing. All the time we're changing. A lot of times our mind is changing. Our life is changing. Our body's changing. And when it comes to our spiritual life, a lot of times we're changing and we don't even know it. Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. And so Paul tells us in Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed to this world. That word conformed infers change. When something conforms to something, it takes the shape of something. That means it becomes a shape that it wasn't before. And so we could do absolutely nothing living in this world seeing everything we see in this world, experiencing everything we experience in this world, and we're going to take the shape of the world. We're going to change to be what the world is. And he says, don't do that, but rather be transformed. What's that? It's change. It's literally metamorphosis. That's the Greek word, metamorpho, metamorphosis. It's when something becomes something completely different from what it once was and he says this happens through renewal and we'll talk about the mind as it relates to renewal later but just for the moment I want to talk about renewal and I want to give you an explanation as to why a lot of times things don't change this word renewal means renovate and I don't know if you've ever done any renovation um, but renovation takes two different things one it takes a Well, it takes an identification, rather, first, of what's bad and what needs to be taken out. But then it also needs to be replaced with something good. I'm sure everybody has experienced that in some form or fashion in life. We did a lot of renovation work. That was really our specialty, I guess, if you want to say we had a specialty when I worked with Dad. We did a lot of renovation work. And we weren't like the people you see on HGTV where you're just swinging a sledgehammer knocking down walls. Because you never know what's in a wall. Dad always had us doing things like a surgical procedure but you had to remove the corrupt before you could you didn't want just want to slap something good over something that was rotten and bad why because you're just going to cover up where the problems are the problems are still there you just covered them up and that's something we have to recognize about transformation and about change in our life is you have to have the humility to tear out what's corrupt you know what that means I've got to say something there's something corrupt that needs to be torn out And something good that needs to be put in its place. You know we see this all throughout the New Testament. Paul talks about it in most of his letters. The idea of put off and put on. Put off, put on. What's that mean? He says put to death and give life to. There's there's this contrast of getting rid of something and putting something in its place. And the reading this morning that Brother Riley read for us gives us the solution to real lasting change in our life so let's revisit just part of that passage Jesus was asked what the greatest command was what's the greatest command and this was his answer you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul with all of your mind with all of your strength, this is the first or the greatest commandment. It wasn't the first commandment given in number. It was the greatest of all the commands. And we could talk about the second commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and that's one that deserves our attention. But, but however, that commandment is useless without this commandment. This commandment's the greatest. And have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't just say you should love the Lord your God with all of yourself? Why does he mention four distinct parts of man? Well, let's talk about those. What is the heart? Now, this word is used in a lot of different ways, but when it's used in Scripture, it it hardly ever talks about the organ that's beating in our chest that we call the heart. Uh, Sometimes it's used interchangeably with the mind. Sometimes it's talking about the intellect of man. There are other times it's talking about the intentions of a person. Uh, You might remember that in Hebrews chapter 4, that that the word of God is quick and powerful. And what does it do? It, It can discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. So it's not just the place where blood pumps, that's the point. But the way it's really used is the feelings and affections of man. Now we've probably heard somebody say before, love is not a feeling. Now That's a dangerous and a slippery slope because while love is not just a feeling, saying love is not a feeling lets everybody think love doesn't involve feelings, and that's not true. Jesus said love God with all of your feelings. Well, if love doesn't involve your feelings, that's kind of pointless, isn't it? It does involve your feelings. And the heart's a tricky thing, and we're gonna talk about the heart in a moment. Jesus said love God with all of your soul, and that word is sometimes Hard to really pin down. But if you look at it in in view of these other three things, I think the idea that he's giving here is that he's talking about the inner man. That deepest part of our person. It's who we really are. He talks about the mind. And that means the deep thoughts of a person. That's where our worldview resides. It's those foundational things that we believe it's, it's not just what we see and perceive, it's, it's really the core of our mind. And then he talks about our strength, which is literally probably what you think it is. It's, it's what you do with your time and your energy and your efforts. So why is this the solution to change? I'll, I'll tell you why I believe this is the solution to real true change. Because every single time that I've wanted to change, and let me, let me make something clear. When I say change, I'm not talking about losing weight. I'm not talking about changing our diet. That's not the intent of this lesson. Now, there's some principles in this lesson that you could use for those type of things. But I'm talking about spiritual change as it pertains to our life and our relationship with God. I just want to make that clear. And and what I see in my life is when when I have a failure to change those things, I can look at one of these four areas, if not all four of these areas, and go, well, I'll tell you what your problem is. You're loving God, but you're missing a big word here, and it's the word all. See, Jesus didn't say love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. He said love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Now, do we do that? That's why this is the greatest commandment. Because if we could just get that right, we wouldn't have problems in life. We wouldn't have sin problems. We wouldn't have addiction problems. We would not suffer through things. But most of the time it's because we fail to commit ourselves wholly to God, and I mean holy as the whole, not holy like H-O-L-Y. So let's talk about the heart for a moment. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's a real short statement. You could put that on a bumper sticker, it's so short. You know how big that statement is? That's a huge statement. You say, well, why is it such a big statement? What is treasure? What is treasure? Treasure is what we esteem valuable and he says whatever you esteem valuable it's got your heart you ever seen somebody just be fully committed to something I mean fully committed whether it's a sport or it's or it's something musical I mean it's just like every time you turn around you look at them they are practicing they're working hard why it's because it's got their heart they love what they're doing Why? Because they think it's valuable to their life. If somebody looks at something and says, this is not valuable to my life, you know what they're not going to do? They're not going to put their heart in it. It's just not going to happen. It's just a part of all of us, and and we we really don't vary as people. Whatever we love is what we esteem valuable, and that has our heart. And that can also be very dangerous. Because you know what God wants from us? He wants our heart. And so if I find value in something that's not godly or is ungodly, that thing is going to have my heart. And guess who doesn't have all my heart? God doesn't. One of the things that Paul talks about in the life of a Christian, and he's talking about what we would call sanctification or, or, or the work that God has given us a purpose to do, what he set us apart to do. And he says it's God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Now we talked about at the very first that we often recognize I need to change this and I want to change this, but there's another word that we need to look at here, and it's the word will. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. There is a huge difference between wanting and willing, and I'm I'm going to explain this in the most simple way I know how. Years ago. Uh, I was watching my favorite guitar player playing uh, a concert, and uh, I was just enamored by the tone of this guitar, and I told, I told my wife, I said, I'm buying that guitar. I've got to have that guitar. I mean, I really wanted it. And, you know, it's not hard to find the price of something now. So, so I looked it up, and I was like, well, I guess I'll just never have that guitar. I mean, now, could I have saved up the money by now and bought that guitar? Sure I could. I could have done that. I could have put a little aside and end up buying. It. But here's the thing as much as I wanted that guitar, I could not will myself to buy that. The cost is too high for what I believe it's worth. You say, why are we talking about guitars? I'll tell you why we're talking about guitars, is because this is the truth about life. You may want to change all day long. But until you look at the change and you esteem it valuable enough to pay the price for change, you won't change. You know, Jesus encountered people like this. He ran into a man one time that said, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Do you think this man wanted eternal life? He did. Why ask the question? Otherwise, I mean, he wanted eternal life. And so Jesus tells him what he needs to do. You need to keep the commandments and so jesus named some of the commandments and he says well i've done all those things since i was a kid and i think at this point he thought this conversation's really going the way that i wanted it because i've already done what's required of me and then jesus says okay one thing you lack one thing go your way sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me here's what jesus said okay I'm gonna lay out a couple treasures here for you and I want you to pick one. He says, here's the treasures that you have. Here's the treasures you could have, but you got to get rid of these to have these. You know what he did? He just turned around the price tag and that guy said, "Mm, not sure I want that anymore. It says he went away Sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You know what that means? These treasures had his heart. Jesus knew it. That's why when he named the commandments to him the first time, he did not mention, thou shalt not covet. You know why? Because he wasn't ready to expose that yet, but he did. And this man walked away. You know why the price tag was too high? And that's the truth about change, is it relates to the heart. Is we can want change all day long. But sometimes the price tag is high. It's high. But I'll tell you what Jesus is telling us. It's worth it. It's worth the price. Change is worth the price that we have to pay. But the first thing you have to do is value it. And it's not about willing. It's not about inner strength that's another problem that we have is we try to will ourselves toward this transformation that Paul's talked about that's not the way it works what we really are doing is surrendering our will into the hands of God to do for his good pleasure it's a trust it's a loyalty it's committing it's depositing if you will our heart into his hands and say I'm going to give you all my heart Now you shape it. You do with it what you will. Let's talk about the soul for a moment. One of the things that David says in the Psalms, in fact, David David mentions the word of God over and over throughout the Psalms, but in this particular Psalm 119, this entire Psalm is devoted to God's word and how much David valued and loved God's word. And he says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Have you ever heard about that? I mean, or, or thought about that, we, we read that and we automatically think, okay, it's light. Well, what does light do? Light makes the eye able to see. You know, that's really the only purpose of light. I'm not talking about sunlight. I'm talking about light in general. It's the only purpose of light. I mean, if we didn't have eyes, we wouldn't need light, right? What is the light for? To make our eyes see whatever something really looks like. So it's a lamp to what? To my feet and to my path. It doesn't just show me the path, where to go. It shows me my feet. Well, that's odd. You know know what your feet represent? Where you're at. They represent where you are. It shows you where you're at. And sometimes where I'm at is hard to see. Because they're are really parts of our person we really would rather keep in the darkness we really don't want to look there you know it's it's funny we and I I think I was talking to somebody about this the other day it's it's funny because I think every person believes that they're very self-aware that we know everything about ourselves and I heard somebody not long ago say this is how self-aware we are Take a ruler and measure how far your nose is from your top lip. He says, it's usually less than an inch. But someone else has to tell us if our breath stinks. That's how self-aware we are. I mean, that's a pretty good point, right? It's, it's a truth about life. We're not as self-aware as we really think we are. And sometimes other people see things about us that we don't see because they don't hear and see and experience everything the same way we do. People see my body language, my facial expressions, my tone. My wife and I talked about that all the time to each other. Facial expressions. You know why? Because we don't know what they're like. (laughs) Not ourselves. It takes a lot of work and a lot of humility to actually look within yourself and say, okay, let's dig and see what's wrong. But God's word will do it. Examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves? You know, when we go to the doctor, usually most of us won't go to a doctor unless things are pretty bad, right? Something's wrong. And so we go, and they'll start running tests. And they'll say, well, I'm sorry, the tests were inconclusive. It's the word we hate. The test was inconclusive. Now, this is how we are physically. Something's wrong. Please run your tests. And if they're inconclusive, what other tests do you have? Let's run more tests. But then we turn that toward the spiritual side. And a test gets run. And a result is given. And we go, no, I think that's inconclusive. I think you're wrong about that. That can't be true. We look into God's word sometimes, and we read something, and we'll apply it to everybody else except for us. Test yourselves, he says. Look within yourself and do what? Shine the light. So this one hurts. I'm telling you, it hurts. But this is what Jesus said. He said, everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. That hurts. I'll tell you why it hurts. You know, all three of my kids, without exception, were afraid of the dark. All three of them. You put me out in the middle of nowhere where the moon is, you know, you got a new moon, and I, I don't know where I'm at. I'm going to be afraid of the dark. Darkness can be scary. And you know what? The truth is, there's no, nothing shameful in being afraid of the dark. Really not. But I'll tell you where the shame is, and Jesus tells us, not when children are afraid of the dark, but when men and women are afraid of the light. That's the problem. And he tells us why. He says it's because of what we're practicing, it's what we're doing. We don't want the light to shine. Why? Because the light exposes things, things that are uncomfortable, things that hurt. And that's the truth about change. Change is uncomfortable. And again, uh, it's not so we can self-deprecate. It's not so we can make a list of everything that's wrong with us. It's because we are committing our entire person into the hands of God and saying, okay, I want to do what pleases you. So you go ahead, shine your light. You know what? God doesn't need the light. He doesn't need the light. David says this. He said, The darkness shall not hide from you. The day shines, or the night rather shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. God doesn't need you to shine the light on your life to know who you are and what you are and what your intentions are. He doesn't need it. We do. We're the ones that need the light, not God. Let's talk about the mind and I'm going to just be honest with you, Is not that I've lied to you at this point, but I'm just going to be very frank about something. This section is the one that probably hurts me the most. I mean, it just stings. Because I think there's there's a look in the mirror that we often have about what we think and what we believe to be true that we really, we don't want to hear. But notice when we talked about renewal earlier about Corrupt and good and about putting off and putting on. Where did he say that happened? In the mind. It's a renewal of the mind. And here, here's the thing about people. If you don't change your mind, nothing else changes. Can, can we all agree with that? If the mind doesn't change, nothing else does. For the weapons of our warfare... That's an odd statement. The weapons of our warfare. It's not really that odd, is it? Everybody knows that we're in a war, a spiritual war every single day. And he says the weapons that we are wielding in this war are not carnal. That is, they're not swords, they're not guns, they're not cannons. They're spiritual weapons. And he said they're mighty through God. To pulling down what? Strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is like a fortress. You know, they used to put these giant castle walls around. And why did they do that? Because it looked great? It was architectural? No. Because they knew if they didn't, someone was going to raid them, come in and take them over. They were going to get conquered. That's why they put the walls up. He says it's for casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity by the obedience or to the obedience rather of Christ. So let's think about this phrase in the middle, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That means if we're going to love God with all of our mind, here's what we've got to do. We have to be willing to test everything that we believe. Everything, every philosophy, every ideology, every opinion, everything, and see if it's really true. And I'll tell you, that is uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. But here's what we must recognize there are things, there are ideas in this world. That raise themselves up against God's word and says God's word is wrong and you should believe this. That's what he's talking about. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. This is one of those things that probably... Turns logic up on its head, and here's why. He says, if you want to be wise in the world, if you want to be wise, here's what you have to do. Say these words. I am a fool. (laughs) What? That's what he said. If you want to be wise, become a fool so you can become wise. Understand what Paul's saying. He's saying there's a way that we look at life and the way that we look at wisdom and the way we often think about wisdom, you need to throw that in the garbage. What you need to do is say this I don't have all the answers. I'm not wise. I need wisdom. Become a fool so you can become wise. Because here's, here's the problem the hardest person to teach something to is the smartest guy in the room. Because he doesn't need anything, he's wise, he's smart. He, he doesn't need your answers. He doesn't need your opinion. He doesn't need your counsel. And so Paul says you've got to become a fool if you esteem yourself to be wise. Why? Because what you believe to be true is true to you. You say, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no. Let me say it again. What you believe to be true is true to you. You know how we know that? All of my opinions are the right opinion. You say, well, that's arrogant. No, 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 stay with me. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm saying that's how we all feel. And here's how we know that. Because if I thought that I had opinions that were wrong, I wouldn't keep them. I'd get a different opinion and have that opinion. We all believe our opinions are right 100% of the time or we wouldn't hold them. That's kind of dangerous, isn't it? That's why we argue. That's why we fight. That's why we debate and we go back and forth on things because we all believe my view is the right view. What I believe to be true is true to me. And here's why that's dangerous. Because what you believe to be true, even if it's not true, has a tremendous amount of power over your life. Just because you believe it's true, even if it's not. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. This is just who I am. And you really can't change who you are. Is that true? Now, let's be fair, okay? Let's, let's take a part of this that is true, a sentiment that's true. There are inevitably things about you that you cannot change. Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, what person, by worrying about how tall they are, can change how tall they are? Nobody. There are things you cannot change. Some people can't change how much hair they have. They can't change a lot of things about their life. But here's, here's where this really is a powerful yet dangerous statement. Because if I decide that that is absolutely true, That puts me in a place where I never change anything. You know why? Because it's hopeless. It's a statement of hopelessness. This is just who I am. And you really can't change who you are. But yet God said, my entire purpose for you as my child is to become someone you're not. To become like my son not like you not to be true to yourself but to be like christ what does that mean that means god wants us and requires us to change who we are you say well well, i'm really talking about personality yeah we talk about personality a lot we've all got personalities don't we and and some of those things about our personality you will never be able to change i've tried you know, there's there's certain things that every now and again I'm standing in a room with my dad and I do this and my wife looks at both of us and just laughs because you know why? We stand the same way. And I don't know how to turn that off, not that I care, but there's just things about yourself that are done through nurture that you'll never change and you can't change. But there are things about our personalities that we think it's just innate within us. It's nature and we can, just can't do anything about it. You ever had somebody come up and they're just very abrasive and they come up and they're very abrasive and, and, and then they're very crude and they walk away and, and you'll, you'll be with somebody else and they'll say, man, I know that was rough, but you just got to know them. That's just how they are. You know, we just make excuses for people. I mean, that's just how they are. If, if you knew him, you'd just know that's just who he is. Well, what if who we are is the opposite of who God's asked us to be? Are we just going to say, well, I'm sorry, God. I know you've asked me to do that, but I just can't. It's just who I am. Is that really true? See, even if we believe it to be true, it doesn't mean it is true. It doesn't mean it is. And this is another one. This is kind of like a trump card. If you've ever played spades, if somebody doesn't have a good poker face, and I know we're talking about spades, not poker, but if somebody doesn't have a good poker face, as you're dealing out the cards and somebody gets the ace of spades, you know. Because, you know, they're gonna make, they're gonna, we're going to bid how many hands we think we're going to win in a minute. And somebody goes, well, I know I'm going to get one. You go, oh, they got the ace of spades. It's a trump card. You can't beat that card. I mean, it's, 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 you throw it down and you win that hand. So you're supposed to save it till somebody throws out the king so you can go, ha. Well, it doesn't matter. you throw it out, you're going to win a hand. That's what this is. You can sit down with somebody, you can open God's word, you can look at God's word, you can plead with somebody to take God's word and love it with all their mind, and you know what they'll say? Well, I'm sorry, that's not what I believe. Like it's going to win the hand. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. If what you believe is different from what God's word said, you'll never win that hand, ever. Listen to what Paul says. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Let God be true and every man a liar. You know what he's saying? If the entire world is in agreement and we all say this is what's right, but God says that's wrong, guess who's right and who's wrong? The world is wrong. The world is a liar and God is still true. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your parents taught you. If it's against God's will, it's wrong. Or some news network or some teacher or mentor. It doesn't matter. If the entire world is in opposition to God, the world is wrong and God is right. It is God who works in you both to will and to do. You knew we'd get there eventually, right? (laughs) To do. Where's the real blessing of change? I'll tell you, change is not abstract. That's one of the reasons why every resolution that I have made at the new year has fallen by the wayside. Because I've got good intentions, and sometimes I even work up a plan. But if you don't work the plan... The plan's meaningless. It doesn't matter how good your idea is or how good your plan is. The blessing is in the doing. That's where the blessing is. Notice what Jesus would say. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. James chapter 1, verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. What is that? That's a man who's looking into the light and lamp of God's word. And what does he see? Something's wrong. I looked into the light. I saw something wrong. And what's he say? He being not a forgetful here. See, that's a lot of the problem. Sometimes it's not that we don't recognize that something's wrong or that something's right. It's that we just forget about it. Well, what causes us to forget about it? We don't put that into action. He says he's not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. It can't just be abstract. There has to be a plan of action, but there has to be action. And now we're going to get to the words of Jesus where Jesus said this to his apostles. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You can spend your entire life gaining knowledge. And you can know everything there is to know. But if you don't do, the knowledge is useless. Happiness, Jesus said, is not because we know God's word. It's because we do God's word. That's where happiness is. And so here's something we have to do with our strength. We have to stop investing our time performing for an audience. You said, what, what do you mean by that? I'm not saying everybody performs for an audience. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But this one's tricky, and this one's deeply psychological in some ways, because we're, we're talking about intention now. We're talking about why we do what we do. Jesus talked about this a lot as he went throughout his ministry when he looked at people and he said, look, they're doing this for the praise of men. When he told them, don't pray like the hypocrites, they're they're just looking for the applause, that's all they care about. It's not about them and God, this is just about people. That's what I mean by we've got to stop performing for an audience. Somebody once said an actor who inhabits his role around the clock eventually becomes the character he plays really think about that. If you fake it till you make it. That's that's kind of the word we use sometimes, fake it till you make it. Sometimes you become what you're faking. You become the actor. And, and you know the problem with this, it is exhausting. It's exhausting. I'll tell you why. Because deep down when we're putting on the performance, We cannot disconnect that performance from this thing that God put within us that is called our conscience. And it's just exhausting. It's exhausting. Someone says, well, wait, 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 wait. But but you said earlier that we're trying to be like something we're not. That's not what we're talking about. We're We're talking about pretending to be something that we're not. Becoming like Christ is not being an actor. It's not performing a role. It's committing and submitting yourself to the will of God. And something else we have to do is stop investing our efforts in ungodly and toxic relationships. And I'll tell you, this one is a tough one. Because sometimes it's hard to know whether or not a relationship is actually toxic. Well, let's dispel one thing right off the bat, and that's this. A lot of people feel like they can be in a toxic relationship because it's not toxic. I'm immune from the toxicity of that relationship. No, we're not. We're not immune to that. Relationships are reciprocal. Every relationship is reciprocal. And and if you want to know what reciprocal means, that means I can't be in a relationship with you and just affect you without you affecting me. There's always give and take in every relationship. You understand what I mean by that? And you know what will happen in a relationship? If someone feels pressured by a relationship to change into something they aren't willing to be, they'll just end the relationship. Think about Jesus as he fed the thousands and they followed him out to the middle of nowhere and he gets up and they've been following him and they're ready to follow him all over the place until he says, okay, let's just get something out here. (laughs) I know why you're here. And the only reason why you're here is because I fed you and your bellies are full. Was that true? Mm-hmm. And that probably hurt until he said, But I've got bread that I can give you, that if you eat it, you'll never die. And now they, Oh, well, give us that. And he said, Okay, it's me. I'm the bread of life. We sang that song earlier. That's what Jesus told them I'm the bread of life. And they went, Do what? how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And they wrestled with that for a while. And then you know what happened? They ended the relationship. It says, from that day, many of his disciples walked with him no more. Why? Because Jesus pressured them into being something they were unwilling to be. That's the way life works. And so I said this would sting, and this is what stings about this. If a relationship is molding you into something you don't want to be, but you refuse to end that relationship, the reality is you are willing to be what you don't want to be because you value that toxic relationship more than you do your relationship with God. I know that hurts, but it's true. It's true. If someone is pulling me further away from God every day, every time I encounter them, you don't need that relationship in your life. It's not a helpful relationship. It's not a good relationship. It's a toxic relationship. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I mentioned a minute ago, some of us think we're immune to influence. What's the first four words of this verse? Do not be deceived. Why didn't he just say evil communication corrupts good men? Because he knew we'd have a problem with that. So he says, don't deceive yourself. Now listen, if you're in a good relationship and you're in a relationship with people that are doing wrong things and you're influencing them for good and they're not influencing you for evil, is that a toxic relationship? No, that's the kind of relationship Jesus was in with sinners. How did he do that? Well, he had boundaries. You know what he didn't do? He didn't go to the bar with them. He didn't do that. He didn't go to the place they were sinning and watching them commit sin. Jesus was trying to help them. He was trying to help them. But you know, the opposite is true. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. It's, it's not just a negative way that relationships work. Listen, if you see somebody in your life and you go, you know what? That person is living the change I want to live in my life. You know what you need to do? Go have a relationship with that person. Be friends with them. I, I, don't, even, I don't even have a problem with you telling them your intention. I don't think God has a problem with that. Saying, listen, I see your life is together. You're walking with Christ and I want to learn from you. And go do it. You know what will happen? You'll see things start to change. Because relationships are reciprocal, good or bad. Let us not grow weary while doing good, but in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I want change and I want it now. Right? I want change now. That's me. Every single time I want to change. I want it now. And you know, The truth is good change is slow change. We're going to talk about exercise for just a moment as it pertains to change because I I think there's something that that we understand about exercise. We often don't understand about other areas of life, and that's this. You've got to manage your expectations or you will inevitably give up. You'll just quit. So, for instance, you go and you step on a scale after you work out twice. I wouldn't do that. You know, I wouldn't. But I'll tell you why. And you know why, right? Because nothing's going to really change if you work out two times. You know, but there's another truth to this. You can work out for six weeks and then not work out for six months. And what you did in six weeks will be outdone by what you didn't do in six months. Because exercise is not one of those things you can go do for a little time and then quit and keep your results. Why do we think life would be any different? Why don't we do this for a little while and everything's going to change? Maybe not. Some things, especially the things that we have learned through experience and through a long lifetime of making decisions that led us to having that problem, are not going to be undone with six weeks of really trying hard not to do that thing it may take longer and we've got to manage our expectations and that's what this verse is really about don't grow weary while doing good what's he saying don't get discouraged while you're doing the right things you've got to wait because there will come a harvest at some point but don't give up keep going Refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Why do we even physically exercise? Because we know it's good for this life, right? He says that. Don't, don't read prophets a little and think he's saying exercise is bad. Exercise is good, but it's only good for this life. But godliness... Exercising yourself toward godliness is not only good in this life, but in eternity. It has a dual benefit. It's not just about now, it's about later. But you've got to exercise. You've got to put the work in. I want to leave you with one last thing. From Matthew 17, uh, Jesus had sent his, his apostles out and they had been casting out devils and they came across a young person and they tried to cast out a devil and they could not do it. They couldn't do it. And so they came back to Jesus and they said, why couldn't we do this? Why could we not cast it out? why they ask that? Because every other problem that they'd ever encountered during their ministry they never ran into this. Every devil that they told, we command you in the name of Jesus, come out." came out. But this one thing, they were puzzled by it. We couldn't do it. Here's what Jesus says. He says, because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. This is so interesting to me. They asked him about casting out a devil and what's Jesus talked to him about? Mountains and mustard seeds. What? You know, you know what was wrong about their question? The word we? Why could we not cast it out? Let me ask you to consider something. How many devils do you suppose that the apostles ever casted out? And I'll tell you how many they cast out. Zero. That's how many demons they cast out. None. None. Every single devil that came out of a person did it because God willed it to be so. It was through the power of God. You know what Jesus told them? I'll tell you why you couldn't cast it out. Because of unbelief. It wasn't that you didn't believe in yourself. That was their problem. They believed in themselves. It was you didn't believe in God. You said it's impossible. You forgot something. This isn't about you. This is about God. And if you'd have had a small amount of putting your trust and your faith in God, you could have moved this mountain. Because God can move mountains, not because you can move mountains, but because that's what God can do. But he said, here's what you also need to understand. When you encounter something like this one that you just could not do, what you need to do, you needed to strengthen your faith. You needed to spend your time in prayer and in fasting. And I'll tell you what that'll do for you. It'll get your heart and your soul, and your mind, and your strength in the right place. That's what it'll do. And it'll lead you toward the one that really will help you change because that's usually our biggest failure. We think we are going to change our life. How many times does that work? It doesn't. Our ways don't work. God's ways work 100% of the time. But I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to put your whole self in his hands. Every bit of it. You got to love him with all of everything you got. Friends today, we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ. If there's someone here today who has been really struggling to change and you need God's healing hand, you need God's help, that's why we give this invitation. It's not to come to us, but to come to the Father. If you're not saved today, if you're not a child of God and you want to do that, you want to commit your life into the hands of God the Father through his son Jesus Christ, we also want to offer the invitation at this time for that as well. Please come have a seat on the front we will help you as we stand and we sing.